Hallelujah, hallelujah. You know, the Lord dropped something on my spirit while ago as I was standing over there in the middle of worship. And the Lord just said, you truly are in the manifestation season. God says, expect a visit from me soon. Expect a visit to each and every family. If you're receptive to it, God says, expect a visit. I'm going to be tangible to you. God says, you're going to know it's me. It's not a coincidence. It's not some sort of a happenstance. God says, I'm going to show up in a tangible way, and you will know that it is my presence. Would you right now lift your hands? How many of you want the presence of the Lord? How many of you want the presence of the Lord? His tangible. Listen, this is the manifestation season. We declare it every Sunday that this is the man manifestation means I'm going to show up in a tangible way. You know that it's me. How many of you want that right now? Stand to your feet right now. Come on, stand to your feet all across this place. Hallelujah. And this is a season of manifestation. This isn't a one-off deal. God struck a blow this week. Fifty years. Hallelujah. My, my, my. Fifty years the church has been praying. And the enemy has fought and he has warred. The battle on the abortion debate is not over by any stretch. It's now gone back to the states. But today this church celebrates life. Thank you, Jesus. God is a prayer-answering God. I want us to read Pastor's Scripture text, and then we're going to pray. And as we pray in just a moment, I felt instructed of the Lord, we need to be praying for our, our justices on the Supreme Court. Death threats have been leveled against them. And how many of you know that our prayers count? They matter. And that we've already had... Um, one particular justice that was picked out and there was basically a, an attempt, an assassination attempt. Thank God that the Lord intervened and kept that from happening. And we speak blessing on them. Amen and amen. I want you to read the word of the Lord with me this morning. It's found in 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. And then we're going to skip over to Jude... There's only one chapter in Jude. We're going to read verses 21 through 23. So again, right now, 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. It says, There cried a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets unto Elisha, saying, Thy servant, my husband, is dead, and thou, thou knowest that thy servant did fear the Lord. And the creditor is come to take unto him my two sons to be bondmen. And Elisha said unto her, What shall I do for thee? Tell me, what hast thou in the house? And she said, Thine hand, Thy handmaid hath not anything in the house save a pot of oil. Then he said, Go, borrow thee vessels abroad of all thy neighbors, even empty vessels. Borrow not a few. And when thou art come in, thou shalt shut the door upon thee and upon thy sons, and shalt pour out 
into all those vessels, and thou shalt set aside that which is full. So she went from him and shut the door upon her and upon her sons who brought the vessels to, to her, and she poured out. And it came to pass, when the vessels were full, that she said unto her son, Bring me yet a vessel. And he said unto her, There is not a vessel more, and the oil stayed. Then she came and told the man of God, and he said, Go, sell the oil, and pay thy debt, and give thou and thy children of the rest. Now turn, if you would, to Jude. I'm going to read verses 21 through 23. Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And if some have compassion, making a difference, and others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. Heavenly Father, we come to you in the strong and in the mighty name of Jesus. Your word declares that it's the name that every knee will bow at one day, God. And we pray right now that as we truly are in this manifestation season, Lord, we're trusting, God, that you're going to show up in a tangible way. God, we pray over this word, God, that it would touch our hearts and our minds that we can receive God, that we would be empowered, we could become more like you, King Jesus. And God, we pray a special prayer. We give, a, we give thanks for the ruling that came down from our Supreme Court. God, we thank you, God, for answering prayers that have went up for 50 years and pertaining to the sanctity and the sacredness, God, of life. We pray protection upon these justices, God. We pray, God, that you would keep the enemy at bay. God, that you would encamp holy angels around about them. God, that you would keep them for the furtherance of your cause and your kingdom. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. And the church said amen. amen. Praise the Lord. It's good to see everybody here this morning. I'd like to thank um, Sister Susan for that wonderful song this morning. Went right along with my message. Susan, thank you for the anointing of the Holy Spirit for ministering, setting tone for the word of the Lord. And I thought Josh was actually going to preach my sermon there for just a little bit. Uh, wow, what a confirmation of the Holy Spirit. And you'll understand why as we get into the word of the Lord. But the story in 2 Kings chapter 4 has intrigued so many throughout the years. Uh, we've, it's been preached on for centuries about the miracle of the oil. As a matter of fact, I've heard a lot of sermons on it. I've preached a lot of sermons on it. And man, there's been so many different uh, ways that it's been preached. And all of them have been good and all of them have been right. But I'm ne it's never been preached that I know of the way that I'm going to be preaching it this morning. I believe that the Lord has given me a insight, a revelation on this scripture that I've never seen, nor have I ever even heard it preached like this before. Here we see a little widow woman whose husband had died representing the leadership and the priest and the head of the home. This man was no ordinary man. He was one of the prophets in the school of the prophets under Elisha. He was a great leader, a great husband, a great father, a great prophet, and he had built a great house. This man was a man of God, but he died before he could pay all of his debts and the family was now reliable for the bills or the debts that this family owed. And we see that the creditors had came to take the woman's two sons to work off the debt that was actually left. As I looked at this scripture, the Holy Spirit began to really show me how that this is a representation of where so many remnant churches is at in America and throughout the world for as that's concerned. And I believe to a certain degree this is where we are at right here at the 
palace of praise. I have thundered it for years. I've been very repetitious in it. Randy's thundered it. Josh has thundered it. Zach has thundered it. You're probably getting tired of hearing the staff talk about how that we believe that we are a remnant church. And not, not only, we're not, the, we're not the only one, but we're just one of many that God has called and set apart for an end time move of God. We have said that over and over and over. We're just one of many remnants, but thank God that we're a remnant. Can I have an amen? Thank God that God has not left us, that God has not passed us by. It is here that we see that the word of God has been silenced due to a death of a prophet dying in his own home. The voice of the house had been stayed, and now all we see in this house is a pot of oil. And, and then this question came to me, is it possible to have an absence of the word represented in the prophet and still have a pot of oil in the house that represents the Holy Spirit? We know How many knows that oil represents the Holy Spirit? And doesn't the word and the oil and the word and the spirit go hand in hand throughout all of the scripture? They're intertwined together. And the answer to that is absolutely yes. But you can can you can have all word and yet still not have the effectiveness or the anointing of the Holy Spirit because it's the Spirit that brings life to that word. It is the Spirit that brings revelation to that word. Can I have an amen? Without the Spirit, all you have is indoctrination. But with the Spirit, you have life. You have revelation. Can I have an amen? But you can also have the anointing of the Holy Spirit and yet have chaos due to a lack of wisdom, instruction, and knowledge because there's an ignorance of the word or a lack of the word among you. However, this house had the oil, which again represents the Holy Spirit, and the Bible says that this is all that this little widow woman had. This means that there was nothing else in that house but a pot of oil. This represents a house that has been cleansed, a house that has been purified, a house that's been set apart and consecrated. I believe that this is exactly what describes the biggest portion of this house. I believe that we as a whole here at the Palace of Praise have a clean house, a purified people, a sanctified people that has been called out and set apart for the working of the house which represents the core. There is core believers here that is sanctified, filled with the Holy Ghost and they're ready to be about the Father's business. And even though the prophet which speaks of leadership has not died, I've not died, the staff has not been removed, yet I believe that there is a silencing coming of the word that is somewhat going to come to even this church because of the transitioning that is about to happen. The word is going to shift off of us being preached at, and we're fixing to get a whole new audience to preach at. Are you understanding where we're headed here? And I want you to understand, this is not a bad thing that there's a silencing of the word to the congregation, but it's a good thing. This house is not in rebellion against the word, but rather it's a sign. Now I'm going to teach a little bit. It's a sign that the word that has been preached and preached and preached has took root and it's now beginning to germinate. Therefore, the process of the preached word over the last several weeks and months and years is now what we call in the finishing process. And it's bringing those things that's preached not only into light but into existence and it's developing those things that's preached unto reality. That which has been preached is beginning to be received by faith by this body and believed and now it's moving this body 
somebody into the realm of action. Are you listening to me? And therefore, the rhema word, the word in season for the last several years that has been preached is fastly coming to a climax. The word is becoming silent, or in this case, it has already made its case. Therefore, there's nothing else for it to say. There's nothing else we can add to what we've been preaching. The season of the word that we've been preaching for the last several years is now coming to a close. The word of the past that's been decreed, that's been declared, that's been prophesied, that's been preached is now coming to the manifestation period. It's beginning to be revealed, the Lord says, and it's beginning to happen right in our midst. Folks, you ought to stand to your feet and praise the Lord for that. Oh my goodness. Are you really listening to what the word's saying? Huh? Do you believe it? I said, do you believe it? It's like what one woman told me one time. She said, if I hear another sermon, I'm gonna barf. I'm literally gonna throw up. She said, Pastor, I'm so full, I don't, if I don't do something with this word, and if I don't do something with this word, I can't eat or digest another sermon. She was saying, the word has become silent to me. I can't take it anymore until I put it into action. I can't take no more in until I start pouring something out because my cup runneth over. That's where we're at right here at this church. We're at a breaking point. We're at a boiling point. Come on, so we're hot. This place is hot under the anointing of the Holy Ghost. But the core group of this house is now beginning to enter into this season. As I said last week, I believe that the church is beginning to respond with a new emphasis on faith and the ability to claim things from God and for God. I'm telling you, faith is rising in this place. Testimonies are just coming in by the groves. Folks, we are in the manifestation season. No longer are we gonna say it's going to be, it's here, we're seeing it, we're observing it. That letter last week, a woman coming all the way from Kirksville, and she looked in Saxton, and she looked, that doesn't mean there's not good churches there, but what it does mean that God has chosen us. He said, you go to Papa Bluff, and you go to the Palace of Praise, and there you'll find my presence. Can you say amen? Praise God. The house is being transformed to reposition to bring to pass the fulfillment of that which has been proclaimed and preached for years and years and years. We are that new breed of disciples that I talked about that is weary and there's a sense of uneasiness even in this body, an element of desperation in our hearts to do something about the way that things are in our communities, in our society and within our nation. The word is burning in us. The fire of the spirit is compelling us and the pot of oil is waiting for us to use it up for the call and the mandate of this house. What is the call? What is the mandate? What are we to do? This is where it really gets interesting. First of all, we have to understand our assignment. What is the mandate of the church? We have said it many, many, many times. We see that these two sons were gonna be taken by the creditors until the debt was paid. This means the house did not meet the expectation of those that they were indebted to. Now think about that. Is it possible a house with oil a clean house, they had already took everything out of the house, they sold everything that they possibly could, that means that they done a house cleaning. As a whole, I believe we've cleaned a house here. We've got a clean house, but is it possible? A house with oil, a clean house, a sanctified house, a house with a core, but that core and that house, even with the pot of oil, which represents the Holy Spirit, is not meeting its expectations or fulfilling its debt. 
And I thought about that. I thought, God, what are you showing me? I said, what does this mean? It means that there is an expectation of the world upon the church, and the church world in general has not met that expectation. Can I tell you, this region is looking at us and they are hoping that we will be able to put up what we've been preaching all this. All this stuff that we've been preaching about, coming revival and miracles and signs and more. But I want to tell you, the church is not the only one that is hopeful of that event. The world is hopeful that the church will rise up and it will happen as they say that it has. Can I have an Amen. As a matter of fact, in some cases, the world has set a higher standard upon the church than the church has set for itself. Come on now. The, the world over the years has had higher expectations of the church in general than the what expectations the church has put upon themselves. The world has believed in the call of God upon the church more than the church has believed in their own call. How do I know that? That's why that people all the time are coming to the church for help. We, we, they flood our offices. They flood our phone calls and our emails wanting help. And that's why that people are always coming to church looking for answers. This is why that, 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 that they do because they got confidence in the church. And matter of fact, this is why that when things go bad, where does the world run to? They run to the church. But when things go bad, where does the church run to? They run away from the church. So the world has more confidence in the call of God upon the church than the church itself does. They run to us and we run away from it. Come on, can I have an amen? People know what the church stands for and what it represents out there in the world. Believe me, they do. The world is not ignorant of what the church is capable of. Hallelujah. The world in the past has looked to the church for help and hope, but sadly, in many cases, not always, they found nothing but slumber in churches and sleep and apathy and rejection and, and harshness and coldness and rejection and deadness. And the, you remember the parable of the Good Samaritan? It's one of the saddest scriptures, the word of God to me, how there was a prophet that was leaving Jerusalem and going down to Jericho when he found a man that had been robbed and stripped and beaten and was left for dead and thieves had took everything that he had. And instead of getting involved or instead of giving him any kind of attention, he just kind of ignores him and goes around him and goes on his journey. And not only did the prophet do that, but the priest that was coming down from Jerusalem to go to Jericho seen the same man, and what did he do? He went around, but that despised Samaritan that all the religious group was looking at. He was coming from Jericho on his way up to Jerusalem, and when he seen him, he had compassion upon him. And he ran over, and he took, and he bound up the man's wounds, put him up on his own beast, and he took him to an inn, and then he gave him money to take care of the man, and he said, I'm gonna pay a debt of this, I'm gonna pay the indebted of this man, and when I come back, and if he owes anything, I'll take care of it. Church, we have to be the good Samaritan. Can I have an amen? There's been more bartenders take time to hear and listen to people's problems while the church tries to dodge them, ignore them, not get involved with them. The truth of the matter is, we think that we're only indebted to Jesus Christ and we are indebted to Jesus for what he's done for us. But according to Paul's teaching, we are also indebted to the world. We are the world's only hope. We are the light of the world. We are the salt of the earth. And if the salt has lost its savor, wherein shall it be salted? 
If we uh, lose out, what hope is there for a world? Because God has chosen the foolishness of preaching and the, and the contact with the church in order to save the lost. Romans 1 and 14 says, I am a debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarian, both to the wise, to the unwise. Paul was telling the people at Rome, look, I, I'm not just indebted to you here at Rome, but I'm indebted to all men everywhere. Paul said, I'm indebted to the world. The world is looking to us and they're really wanting to believe that there's a higher power and that there's something authentic in this thing called the church. The world is hopeful that we will be and do what we were called to be and what we were called to do. The church world has to get to the place that we can say what Peter and John said to the cripple at the gate called beautiful. The cripple was laid outside of the uh, temple daily according to the word of God and searched for help. The people of that day believed that the place to take the cripples and the hurt and the, and the confused and those who were in need were at the temple area because they could find compassion and get some alms. It was the point of contact. It was the only place that they could find anything to help them in their time of need. And the church should be known as a refuge in time of troubles and it should be known as a sanctuary, a hiding place. That's what we are to be known for. Can I have an amen? In Acts 3, when the cripple at the gate seen Peter and John going into the temple, the Bible says he asked, arms in them and he expected to receive something from them and the world looks at us and they expect to receive something from us I want you to know the world is looking at the palace and praise and saying, what are you going to give us? But it was Peter that fastened his eyes upon him in boldness, and he said, look on us. And you're asking for money, but money's not what we're going to give to you today because money's not the answer. That's not what you need. Peter said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, I give unto thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Then we see Peter by faith taking him by the right hand and lifting him up immediately, and the Bible says his feet and his ankle bone received, received strength and then he went into the temple with Peter and John leaping and praising God. Now I want to tell you this, the reason there was so much begging going on around that temple because it was easier for the people to that day to throw money at the people to ease their conscience than it was to actually get their hands dirty and get involved. The church in the past has taken on that mentality. The answer to a lot of churches is just throw money at people. One congregation told me their pastors, uh, one congregation told their pastor said, pastor, if you need more nursery workers or if you need more p people to work with children, let us know and we'll put more money in the offering plate so you can hire them. I want to tell you, the church does not need to be filled with hirelings. They need to be filled with servants of the Lord. Oh, come on. I know we got to hire at times. I'm not saying that. But I want to tell you, just throwing money at causes, need money. I'm not against that. But that's not always the answer. I'm amazed at all these people sitting at stoplights, and they're sitting there begging for money with jobs everywhere. And I'm thinking, why do they do that? Young, able-bodied people. And uh, one of our uh, friends knew some of them and said, man, we make more money out here in just a few hours than what we can make working. We just come out here and meet our quota, and when we get done with our quota, we go home. And all we do a lot of times out of misdirected passion is throw money and we enable them to be bums. And we don't give them what they need. The man, the cripple at the gate did not need another arm to just push him forward to another day. He needed deliverance by the power of the Holy Spirit. And let me tell you, the palace of praise biblically stands. If a man needs a, something to get him a lunch, we're going to buy him a meal. We're going to give him some money. But we're not about just throwing out money to beggars. We're about giving them what they need. We're saying, look on us, and we'll have the answer to their need. We believe in the power of the Holy Spirit to bring 
prisoners to the captives. You believe that this morning? Come on, do you believe that palace of praise? We need a bunch of people in this, people in this congregation who can say, not look to the preacher, not look to the council, look on us, look on me, look on me. We need a sanctified core group that has the anointing to lay hands on the people, to make a difference, to make miracles be performed in the path of those that are in need of them. Just like when Jesus sent the 12 and the 70, even so he sends us out. We have to, the mandate is the Great Commission. It's the, the, the mandate of the Great Commission's on all churches. It's its call, it's its duty. It's the command of Jesus Christ to us as believers, his body, to go in all the world to preach the gospel. Come on. As we obey that command, he promised, lo, I will be with you always, even to the end of the world. His presence being with us is contingent upon whether or not we obey the great commission. And then he gave us a promise, and all power is given me in heaven and earth. We are to be able to say silver and gold have we none, but such as we have in the name of Jesus Christ, and we are to be able to bring about the miracle that's needed in people's lives. And we should have the power to be able to lift people up like Peter did when he took the cripple by the hand and lifted him up and said, arise and be healed. We ought to be able to lift people's spirits. We ought to be able to lift people's hopes. We ought to be able to lift people's expectations. We ought to uh, lift people's dreams. Can I have an amen? We need to be like Jesus. We need to be anointed of the Holy Ghost, going around doing good and heal, bless, touch all people that are afflicted and oppressed of the devil. We need to have the goods. We need to be real or authentic like the New Testament believers. In Acts, um, Mark 16 and 20, it says, and they went forth and preached everywhere, the word everywhere, and the Lord working with them with signs, con uh, with signs and wonders confirming the word with those signs. In Mark 16, verse 17 and 18, let's, let's quote it. These signs shall follow them that believe. In my name, they shall cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. If they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Here's how, we, here's how we interpret that scripture. These signs shall follow the preachers. These signs shall follow the elders. These signs shall follow the council members. These elders, no, 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 no. These signs shall follow them that believe. How many believers do I have here in Jesus Christ? These signs are to follow you. Huh? Now, why aren't we seeing those signs? I'll get into it in just a moment. We are to be the righteous core, the remnant that God pours his anointing on. Let's look at how we got to where we're at at the Palace of Praise. We didn't get here overnight, 36 years. I've been here, and it was here before I got here. Some planted, some watered, some sowed. Come on. But how do we get here? How do we get to this 65,000 something square foot building? How do we get set on a hill right in the strategic part of the, of, of the city? How do we get this size of a congregation, 1,100s of membership? How do we get here? What caused us to arrive where we're at? What's been our strengths? First of all, number one, we've had the preaching of the word in the house. For years, the church has been noted for its preaching and its authentic worship. It's been known to be a word church and a spiritual church. And I have an amen. We have two or three different groups that come through here every year, twice a year usually. Haven't seen them but once this year so far. But there's two different groups, and uh, one of them's way down on the other side of Campbell. One of them's way up in the north, up above Sylvia. And they come down here, and this is what they tell me. Pastor, we are here to get revived and refreshed again the, in the word and in the, and, and in the spirit. 
So we hope that we can go back, help change our church and make a difference. They live so far away that they're not able to come here on a consistent basis. And they have to come, and they usually come twice a year. Sometimes they come three, year, three times a year. They always look me up and they say, I don't know how long we're going to be here, but we'll even be here at least four weeks, a month. We've got to have some refreshment. We gotta... So God's using us in the word to help people to be, uh, be empowered. The second thing we have done is we have a strong core group. As I said earlier, this congregation is sanctified. We are purified ourselves through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're redeemed. We're not at 100%. I know that. But neither are we at 20% like the national average. We're above average. Can, I say, can you give the Lord praise for that? Josh Reasons is kind of like a statistic type guy. He's always finding what statistics are over churches through data, through research, and through reports that's actual factual. And he'll send them to me and says, does this statistic uh, compare to the church's statistic at the Palace of Praise? And I can honestly say, we blow those statistics completely out of the water. Hallelujah. We got a great church. Come on, brag on yourself a little bit. Amen. We got a wonderful church. The third thing that, is, that has brought us to where we're at, we have had compassion and we've been involved in the harvest. When I look at the work, the labor, the hours, the sacrifice that this staff and this body, this working body has done, it amazes me. Folks, you are blowing every statistic away that you can even imagine. One of our speakers that come to our real men's rally live in a big city, a metropolitan area, the draw of hundreds of thousands of people. He's got a mega church, and he looked at Randy and said, if I would try to do this, I wouldn't have half the men in my church as you've got. I thought, wow, what a compliment. He's complimentary of our church. Over the past 36 years, this town has come to know who we are. You have people say, Pilate Surprise, they know who we are. They know where we're at. We've been an influence in our town. We have been a force to be reckoned with. We've got a good name as a whole. I mean, they bashed us on their net and said different things, but as a whole, we've got a good name. We've been a light and example to our community. We have been a presence in our city, and we still are. We've changed some things, and some things has run its course. Some things is getting rebounded. You know, you, things come and go. But over the years, we've preached at our community fairs in a tent, and guess where they located us every single time? By the beer garden. Woo! That means we got to preach to some drinkers. Can I have an amen? And we have held several worship services at the county fairgrounds on multiplication where our choirs would go down and sing worship songs and set atmosphere in the middle of a Butler County Fair. The palace ministers and I have prayed multiple, multiple times at city council meetings. Got called the other day, and I couldn't because on Monday nights I have prayer meeting. I have preached in schools at graduations and prayed at school meetings. I have preached in brush arbors and different revivals around in the community. We set a presence in our city through Christmas parades, building a float that pointed to Jesus Christ, won first place year after year. Thank God for Valerie Lawrence and Terry Lawrence. If it wasn't for them, them things would have never happened. I look back at them days and I think Valerie and poor Terry put hours and hours. I remember the one where the world, the globe was big, I mean huge, and had these big hands. 
I'm talking about monstrous hands. And the world was sitting in those hands and it was protruding off of the trailer. And there was a big sign and says he's got the world in his hands. Hallelujah. What a testimony. That was just one of the many, many, many floats. We set presents in our 4th of July floats. Also, witnessing of Jesus Christ by the content that was upon those floats. And we won first place every single year. Where's the Lawrences? Are y'all here today? Stand up. Give the Lord praise for their labor in that. Hallelujah. I'm just going to encourage us a little bit. Our drama team, directed by Mark Fawn at one time, not only had an outreach here at the church, an event with a 4th of July uh, skit, but it went all the way to our capital in Jefferson City, Missouri. And it, they performed it and became a witness to thousands. Give the Lord praise for that. What a miracle. We've built churches in Mexico, El South, and this ain't just, I ain't even talking about our, our, our funding of the different missionaries around the world. I'm not talking about our money that we're sending off. I'm talking about what we've done as a church by going and doing it. But we built churches in Mexico, El Salvador, and Belize. We raised the money, we done it all, and we won thousands to Jesus during those 12 years of mission trips that I took, not counting the many years that Tom Rankin went without me with a different group of people. Every night we would start, we would start on that Monday or when that Saturday or whenever we would arrive, and we would start that day, work all day, and that night have church. And every night, hundreds of people would come out and have services. And hundreds of people in Mexico and El Salvador and Belize were saved. Every night. And when we left that church, it was completely built. It had a pulpit. It had a stage. It had electric. It had windows. It had doors. And it had all of its seating. And when we left, we got there. There was not even a church and we left. It was a packed out church by the time that we left. Give the Lord praise for that. Randy West, Penny Burson, and myself went to China to the underground church and we smuggled Bibles to the Chinese. Our ETF evangelism task force for 17 years, a whole team of people has went into the heart of Popper Bluff every single month ministering to people. They prayed with people, they witnessed to people, they passed out Bibles, they built relationships, they gave gifts. For 14 years we have drawn thousands to the church through our Christmas dramas. Anywhere, the lowest that we know of that was saved was 150. The highest was 500. I asked Randy, what do you think the average was? He said around 250 people every Christmas make an acknowledgement, a real acknowledgement that they gave their life to Jesus Christ. <laughs> Hallelujah. We have, uh, we have established multiple seasonal prayer walks around the city. I've done those by myself with the no one even knowing it. I've done it with groups of people. Ministries have done it that I didn't even know about. Them prayer groups go on all the time. We've done outside Easter events for years under the direction of Mike Lampkin. We've had drive-in nights, Super Bowls, Sundays, concerts, kingdom encounters, revivals, all for the purpose directed towards the center. We went caroling at Christmas years ago, gave each home a two-liter sodi. This is something I'm wanting to bring back. Uh, we gave them a two-liter, each home, we'd go up and knock on the door. We'd give them a two-liter sodi, a bag of popcorn, and we gave them a movie of Jesus. And we'd say, have a movie on us. Hallelujah. In the early days of Ninth and Cedar, we had a radio program where we, it was called Forward in Faith, where we preached every single week for a year and a half. 
Our ETF uh, for years upon years has had its annual safe zone during Halloween in South End of Papa Bluff where 1,800 to 2,500 to 2,800 kids come annually through that program every single year. They give gifts and candy. They do skits. Our youth are down there doing skits and drama, ministering. They do face painting. They get relational and they witness Jesus Christ. We've had our food banks, our daycares, our benevolent ministries, our shut-in ministries, our jail ministries, our real men rally, our girlfriends connections. We've had our marriage seminars, our special prayer events and prayer revivals. We went door-to-door many times. We had a 10-week program one time on 9th and Cedar where I shut down Wednesday nights. I taught on evangelism for eight weeks, and I said, now it's time to put to practice what we've learned. I said, come here. We had a word of prayer, and we was running 40 at that time. And when they came in, I said, now, this week we're going to do something different. We're now going to take what we've learned out to practice. We're going to start going door to door. We're going to sign two people a block, and we're going to go door to door, and we're going to witness Jesus Christ to them in this area. My attendance fell from 40 to 12. We done it, 12 of us done that for 10 weeks. Come on now. Everybody said, well, what kind of, of results did you have from that? All I know of is two people out of those 10 weeks getting saved in that area. One of them was a man by the name of Charlie, and the other one was a man by the name of Don Forsythe. Hallelujah. Can you give the Lord praise? They gave their life to Christ and started coming to the church, but let me tell you something. Because of what we did, people started pouring into our church from everywhere. God blessed our efforts. Can I have an amen? Our staff counsels multiple hours each week, not just believers, but even unbelievers. We went to the National Day of Prayer meetings downtown. I don't know how many times we've done it this year. Uh, there was five or six of us, Mike Burton, Bob Bennett, Craig Reynolds, Randy, me, and I don't know who all. We went down and we, we supported our National Day of Prayer. We supported the right to life. Many Me and my wife and family and many of you were sitting at the courthouse supporting the right to life. Thank God for the Supreme Court overturning it. Can I have an amen? Kids, y'all might not even know this goes on. KOZ, men sacrificing their time, targeting kids outside of our local church to minister to them for Jesus Christ. They take them fishing, they take them camping, they teach them the way things instruct boys. It's kind of like a Boy Scout program. Jason Ray, where are you at? You here this morning? I'm plugging for you, man, wherever you're at. We've had nursing home ministries to minister to our seniors. We've had hospital ministries where we've trousered thousands upon thousands of miles not just ministering to this body, but even the body's loved ones that's lost. Me and Bill Marvin, how many people, Bill, can we really say that we've prayed through to Jesus Christ? It's unbelievable. Just going to the hospitals. We could go on and on and on, folks. I, I've just given you just a small portion of everything this body you do. Now I want you to give an applaud for what God has put in the hearts of men and women. They've been obedient to it. Amen. This church is not lazy. But we've won our souls mainly through the arena of events. Not all of them, but most of them were events that we've done. I do not want to take away from events because they're important, they're necessary, they're needful. They're actually crucial for the church. Jesus even attended events. He attended feast days, weddings, funerals, holy days, community gatherings. He even, he even ministered in them. As a matter of fact, whenever you've seen a crowd, you would see Jesus there because he took advantage of the opportunity. Hello, we need to do the same thing. 
He mingled among the crowd. He ministered to the masses. Though he wasn't on center stage, he'd done everything behind the scenes. He looked at the crowd and he wept because they were a sheep, like they were sheep without a shepherd. And he cried and he wept over their lostness. The real question was, how was this house going to minister to the debtness owed by the house? How was they going to pay the debt that it owed? It would be upon the shoulders of these two sons of the house. Ultimately, the future of that house and its success all lied within the children of the home. Can I tell you the future of the success of this house has nothing to do with what we have been in our past. It cannot be sustained by its name, our reputation, our fame, our past influence, and our past testimonies. They've been wonderful. Oh, they may sustain for a while. Oh, people may keep a good name for a while. But I want to tell you, companies have tried this for years. Winchester, for example, just give you one. I read how, how many done this. In the late 1800s, early 1940s, uh, 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 19, the late 1800s, early 1900s, all the way up to 1940, Winchester had a slogan, you've not owned a gun until you've owned a ch uh, Winchester. I forget the statistics, but at one time it was like for every gun that was owned by somebody that wasn't a Winchester, there was a hundred Winchester owners. That Winchester was so superior above all of the other guns that all the other guns was not even considered as a gun. And then they got to just living off of their reputation and making junk. For a few years there, their guns begin to jam, they begin to misfire, they begin to blow up, and they were trying to live off of their name. By the time that 1940-something, or is either 49, 51, something like that, I looked it up one time, Remington had surpassed them. And not only did Remington's begin to surpass them, they begin to surpass them by large margins. And then all of a sudden, here come another brand, and here come another brand, and here come another brand. And now Winchester ain't even on the charts in the first 20 charts of the best guns of America. Why? They tried to live off of their reputation. And can I tell you, the palace of praise has got a good name. It's got a great reputation, but we can't live off it. We still got to have what we have and keep it going to the next generation. Can I have an amen? Our future has to do with the children that's in this house today and not those of our past. We talk about the sacrifices of Leonard Gibbs. We talk about the sacrifices of Irene Merriman. We talk about the sacrifice of those wonderful saints of the past. But folks, I wanna tell you, they're dead, they're gone, they're no longer here. And the future of this success, though they're wonderful stories, yet this building will not hold together and this church will not advance by what people done 30 years ago. It's by how active and how spiritual and how in tune we are for our today. Can I have an amen? Oh Lord, give the Lord praise. Come on, it's all right. Those two boys had to go out, borrow vessels to bring back to the house, and then they would fill those vessels with oil. After filling the voices of oil, they would take the vessels out, they would sell the oil and pay part of the debt. First of all, notice that they were borrowed vessels. They could not take any ownership of the vessels. They were not to say, we own you. But I wanna tell you, the Lord of the harvest is the owner of the vessels of the harvest. The empty vessels represent the harvest. And the future success lies in the ability for the church to get empty vessels of the world, fill them with the oil of the Spirit. We're indebted to them to do that. You're, 
You know what? Well, you know what uh, uh, Cain's biggest problem was? Am I my brother's keeper? Yes, you are. We're indebted to the world. We're indebted to each other. What happened on the day of Pentecost after they were filled with the Holy Spirit? They took to the streets. Peter had a preaching event. He put him up a stage. No, he really didn't do that, but he did have a preaching event. He preached one sermon, 3,000 souls were added to the church that day. But even though there were events that had great reward, yet the people then went house to house, breaking bread, having fellowship one with another. Look at what it says in verse Acts 2.47 after they went house to house, breaking bread, having fellowship with one another. And they were praising God, having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. People started going one-on-one evangelism. They went house evangelism. They had target a house. We're going there. We're going to take Jesus to them. They'd take a family and target them and say, we're going to do evangelism. They'd just go in and break bread with them, have fellowship with them, eat with them. I want to tell you one of the best ways to get someone saved is have a meal. I think I've had 460,000 people saved at meals. No, I'm joking. But people started doing one-on-one evangelism. They, they went house evangelism, family evangelism, and there was so saved every single day. Evie Hill, one of the greatest ministers of, our, of, of past decades, he was a black man that was in L.A., and he had a small, small beginning and he just got a hold of this thing and he got to saying, we got to stay biblical in our evangelism approaches. And he got to preaching on evangelism and then he started a thing that went on for 30 years. It was called Adopt a Block. You've probably heard of it. Where he would look at his congregation, he said, okay, Chuck Richardson, April, I want you to take a block. If you're in a rural area, take a royal block. If you're in a city, take a city block. You win, your goal is to win every single one of them people in that block to Jesus Christ. He gave them tools, he gave them teaching, he gave them training if they wanted it. All of them didn't do it the same way. He didn't demand a certain way. He wanted you to do it your style, under your anointing. He wasn't a dictator. And he would go, and he seen that some of them done it through life groups. Some of them done it, they'd get a team, and they'd get four or five other people in the church to help them. And they, they would, but they, they would have prayer walks, first of all, for 12 weeks around that block. That was what he told them to do. 12 weeks, you pray around that block. Pray for the families every single day. Then you start targeting them. And out of that program, he became one of the largest mega churches in the United States before mega churches were ever even heard of. He won his community to Jesus Christ. Oh, God help us. The upper room was a milestone for the church. And it was a milestone of what happened. It was it's what ignited the church and spurred them on to action and evangelism. And this is why we need a Holy Ghost church, a spirit-filled church, not a friendly secret of church. We need a spiritual church, folks. Come on, somebody. The Holy Spirit was the manifestation of the long-awaited demonstration of the church in action. And if we really are filled with the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit's being poured out of us, on us, and if we really want revival, then we have to be obedient to the Holy Spirit. If we're obedient and sensitive to the Holy Spirit, and if we're truly hearing his voice, then we will have the passion to reach the lost and the power to do it. Acts 1 and 8, and you shall receive power 
after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. I'm, I'm teaching a little bit today. We will go out if we're filled with the Holy Spirit, and we will win vessels to the Lord. We'll set time aside every single day to pray for that harvest, and we'll put a plan in action together, and we'll do intentional evangelism. Intentional. What do I mean by that? Nadine and... Um, I'm trying to think of it. Lee Eglin. You know what they done several years ago? They brought me a list. Pastor, I want you to pray over this list with me. So we've been praying over it for, I forget how long, almost a year. They put the list together, brought it, prayed over it, brought it to me. I prayed over it. And they had a list of everybody in their block, which is, they live out in the middle of nowhere at that time, a rural area. And there was just, I don't know, five, six, seven names of neighbors that was scattered out around them. And they said, we have prayed over them earnestly. And now we're going to put it to action. We're going to win every single one of them families to the Lord. And I said, well, we're going to pray for you. And did you know they've moved away now, but before they moved, every single one of those homes were won for Jesus Christ. They done this while they were in their late 70s and early 80s. Hello? Oh, Lord, help us. We don't need a couple of week revival where we have 14 days of revival services and we feel God and we have about 200 saved and in those two-week period and, and then all of a sudden we get together and after the two weeks, it's over. Revival can't be sustained like that. We don't need to think the revival is a bunch of church services where we spend a year coming to church every single night and where we end up missing work and we let down on school, we let it fall behind, we neglect our marriages, we miss opportunities with our children, we get behind on our bills all in the name of revival. That's not revival. Can I have an amen? We need to make revival permanent by making it a way of life. We need to learn how to have revival in our hearts. We have to brush away the cobwebs of our theology and our training and discern the true biblical definition of revival, especially when it goes against the grain of our experience and the way that the religious teachers and our tradition has taught us over the years. We think revival is have an evangelist come in and let him preach for five weeks and, and man, have hundreds saved and when he leaves, we'll brag about revival. The only problem is when the evangelist leaves, revival leaves. Yes, we have to have the events to sustain the revival. There'll be a cost. There'll be a price. There'll be a added services. There will be uh, more church events and meetings and different things we'll have to have. But I want to tell you, the event itself is not revival. The revival is when we learn and understand that we're all fishers of men and that we are all are commanded by God to catch fish. I want to do an illustration. Ricky Cochran, get up here. If he didn't come today, I'm going to be mad at him. There he is. Come on, Chuck, come with him. Now, Ricky is a man of faith. Come on up here and stand right up here. He's a man of principle. I went to Cindy, and I said, Cindy, and I went to some of the other people in the church. I was going to do a total different illustration today. The Lord kind of changed it. I said, would you bring a vessel in and put your name into the bottom? I was going to do this illustration and Cindy said does that mean I gotta get on stage and it really did mean it because I was gonna have an illustration she said no Ricky's your man she said I don't like that stage presence I said tough you're gonna do it no I'm not 
So I decided not to do the vessel thing, but he had already started working on bringing a vessel. I want you to see the first vessel that he was going to bring. Show that slide. That, you know, and I thought, that's exactly what I wanted. Just a vessel. And then he got to thinking about it. He said, no, that ain't good enough. Show the second one he was going to bring. I got to look at that. And, ah, here's a man of faith. He understood where I was going with my sermon. But then he thought, that ain't good enough. Look at the third one he was going to bring. You talk about a man that believes in revival and something big about to happen. This man believes something big. You believe it? Woo! Oh, my goodness. Did you see that thing setting up on the stage here this morning? Hallelujah. But Ricky and Chuck represent the sons of the house. They got a debt to society. You and I, that's been saved by grace, pulled out of the mire and the muck. That old song Randy and Melody used to sing, and Sister Gwen used to sing it as well. Somebody prayed for me. They had me on their mind. They sacrificed their time. They fell down on their knees and they prayed for me. I wish I could sing, don't you? They had no doubt that God would bring me out. And, the, and, I, and, and folks, I'm a product of somebody else's oil. I'm saved by grace. I got a debt now from that which I have received freely from Christ. Freely receive, I'm to freely give. I'm to give out of my overflow of what I've received from Jesus. These men are now got a debt to society. It's a heavy burden. The rhema word has come. They know, they've heard from the prophet, but the voices no longer speak anything else. There's not anything else to speak. Our problem is we've sat around in our houses with full pots of oil and we've not seen any activity because the oil is full. There's nothing else to give and there's not another word to say. We're like sheep, fat and flourishing. We sit on our pews and enjoy our services, but the problem of it is there's no activity from the oil. So the word is silenced. There's nothing else to preach. There's nothing else to say. There's nothing to add to. It's been preached and proclaimed year after year after year after year. The mandate's been before us. And now all of a sudden the word dries up. So they go in search of what they're gonna do. They sell everything in the house trying to pay that debt and they can't. And all of a sudden it comes down to the wire they got to have a move. Go get another vessel. Go get another vessel. Grab somebody. Bring them up here. They had to go pick the two ugliest two people in the church. This is the ugly grip, Paula, my grandchild. <laughs> now, look what happened. They went out and found empty vessels. They bring those vessels in, and guess what happens? The Bible says that God begins to fill these vessels with oil. 
And now that you're filled with the vessel of oil, now you are to be sold out. You gotta sell yourself out here because you're indebted to them as these people were debted to Christ and you were debted to Christ. You now have a debt rendered to this society. Amen? So under your consecration and your new experience, y'all all go back out and get another, get another vessel. Boy, the crowd gets worse and worse. And, and let, me, let me tell you, catching fish can get dirty. Amen? And now here we go again. What happens? God begins to say, oh, they went out and got new vessels. So the new vessels, Keith, God begins to fill you with oil. Amen? Mike, God begins to fill your vessel with oil. He begins to fill your vessel with oil. Johnny begins to fill your vessel with oil. And now you feel this indebtedness to Christ. Now, not only are you indebted to Christ, you're indebted to the world. One more time, go out and get another vessel. I'll hurry, just bear with me. Oh, things is brightening up a little bit. Oh, man. And again, that I could go on and on and on until every single one of us is on this stage. Now, if they'll stay with me, just bear with me. If two people in this house wins two people per month, that's one, one, that's us winning one person a month per person. And then those two win somebody every month. And if that follows suit for 12 months, now I wanna stop and say, do you know who wins the most souls? New converts. The older people's kinda shut down for some reason, we've gotten out of soul winning. But someone that gets saved and gets filled, full of excitement, they'll go out, they won't just get one person saved, they'll get 10. Can I have an amen? But if we just follow suit of two people starts out in this church of 1,100 members and they get two people saved this month and then those people follow suit and do the same thing, our first month we'll have four people saved. Our second month we'll have 16. Our third month, 32. Our fourth month, 64. Our fifth month, 128. Our sixth month, 250. Six. Our seventh month, 512. Our eighth month, 1,024. Our ninth month, 2,048. Our tenth month, 4,096. Our eleventh month, 8,192. And look at the final income after just one year. Show it. That's after one year. That's just if two people engage themselves and say, I'm going to win 12 people to the Lord this year. And every one of those that they win do the same thing. Now you say, well, maybe they can't, they can't do that. Folks, there's 1,100 of us. Can I have an amen? You know what we just did by doing this evangelism? Guess what we did? 
We stopped drugs in Popper Bluff. We destroyed prostitution. We obtained victory over homosexuality. We stopped jaws of death of suicide. We took down crime. We stopped human trafficking. We stopped the drug abuse. We stopped, we stopped spousal abuse. We stopped human trafficking. How? How did we do all of that? We even changed the voting system of our area that can make a change on a whole region and nation and state. How? Because we won 16,384 people to Jesus Christ. That's almost a total population of this city. Y'all can be seated. Thank you. Real fast. Notice when the oil stopped. I got to, I got to. The oil stopped when the vessels quit coming in. When did the Holy Spirit quit working in the church is when the vessels dried up. And notice that no matter how many you bring in, no matter how many you bring in, there's enough oil to supply. The oil bird just kept filling up like an artesian well. And when the church is no longer actively involved, folks, you can work five lifetimes tearing down, setting up, moving, doing all that stuff in events and never have them kind of statistics. You can work yourself. Now, I, I was going to talk about the events, how important they are. The, the events are more for the church, even though the events do get a good portion of people saved. Thank God for them. They're crucial. They're important. We got to do them. They, they establish presence in the community. They establish presence of who Jesus was by him going to those community events and those holy days and those feast days and all of that. Not only that, they connect the body, they unify the church, they help bring discipleship by people walking alongside of each other, rubbing shoulders one with another, setting, setting in meetings together, eating meals together, doing brainstorming together. It builds relationships, it establishes unity, it gives the body purpose, it gives the body vision. That's what these events are for. It also allows people to use their talents, it gives them a place to belong, it gives them a purpose, it gives them ownership of the church. And the more vessels that we bring in, guess what? And the more that we get say the broader our events has got to become because you got to plug those people in somewhere let them use their gifts let them use their talents or they're going to not feel ownership and they're going to end up drying up and going away uh, uh, so I want to tell you a soul winning church will be a very 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 busy church but the event itself is not the biblical design of evangelism evangelism is you and I intentionally getting us a list, going after those people and not giving up. And if there's just some people that won't listen, the Bible says, shake the dust off your feet, go to another house. Come on, if they reject and they reject, find good ground. Go after them. Steve is an evangelist, winning, trying to win pig in Arkansas for Jesus Christ, setting up a place in his home to help get involved in people's life through street ministry. Thrills me to death. I use Jude chapter one. I'm gonna tell a story then I'm gonna close. Verse 21 and 23, if they could put that back up there. Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for mercy unto eternal life through our Lord Jesus Christ. Never forget those that are outside of the realm of grace. Keep yourself in the love of God and have mercy. And so some have compassion. Make, we're, have, we're to have compassion. We're to make a difference. You and I are to make a difference. 23 says, and others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire. Something happened to my son that 
Every night when I pray, I pray for John's safety because he's a fireman and I pray for the fireman. I mention the ones by name that I know every night. And my son was called to a fire. Him and Chad Bell were the first ones there. And when they get there, they hear a woman screaming inside the house. They gear up and I, I don't know all the details because that's private and they're not allowed to give that out. I just know what the newspaper says and little bits and pieces that John was at liberty to tell me. You know, there's that some of that stuff is, you can't, you can't talk about it. And so John was telling me in the newspaper that I read the newspaper article that anyway, John and Chad were the first ones there and they hear the woman, they know someone's in there and they bust down the door. Oh, well, no, excuse me, they go through a window and they go after the woman. I don't know all the details that took place in there because John's not allowed to talk about that stuff. But the only thing he did tell me is that they finally found the woman and there was a lot of clutter between them and the door and Chad was throwing things out of the way trying to get to the door and fires everywhere and smoke and they got there trying to find the way and they're trying to protect the woman. John's got a hold of the woman and they're trying to get this woman out of this fire. And he said, all of a sudden, Dad, the only thing he was able to tell me, he said, I got on my mic and I said, Chad, we got to get out of here. I'm on fire. I'm burning. And Chad's doing everything he can to make a way to get him out. Finally, he clears away and they, the two of them get the woman. The Bible or the newspaper said both of them brought her out. So I know that two of them had grabbed a hold of her somehow, got her out. And as soon as they walked out of the door, boom, the place blows up. And they go out and Jonathan's screaming at them, put me out, I'm on fire. And they spray him down with water, spray Chad down with water. They have to go to the hospital and they've got severe burns. And, and they didn't, I didn't know if they was going to keep my son or not. We got a call and said, your son's been hurt. He's been burned real bad in a fire. And I thought about that. And every night I say, oh, God, thank you for pulling my son out of the fire. Thank you, Lord. Every night from that day on, I thought, just minutes, some of the people that I've talked to said, your son and Chad's heroes, said, you don't understand. As soon as they stepped out, bloom, it, it blew apart. They, the, the thing said they were in there exactly one minute. Here's the sad part of it. There's risk in winning souls. You can be hurt trying to win souls. You can be wounded trying to win souls. You can get your feelings hurt trying to win souls. It's messy work. It's hard work. You feel rejection. Sometimes they say things that's mean. And you gotta understand where they're coming from and you gotta look past their hurt and understand that hurt people hurt other people. You gotta be bigger than they are. You can't get turned off just because they hurt your feelings. You gotta be a man of God and suck it up and say you gotta love them unconditionally like Jesus loved us. While we were yet sinners and unlovable, he loved us. And you gotta be willing to take those things on the chin. They, but here's the sad part of it. After they got out of the hospital, got situated, everything's okay. The woman was transported to a hospital up in the city somewhere, don't know where. We prayed for her. John and them were praying for her. A few weeks pass. She passes away. She didn't make it. 
there's casualties. All won't be saved. And all your efforts, and you'll weep, and you'll cry because you wasn't able to save them. Jesus didn't save everyone he come in contact with. But does that stop us? Our problem in America is we try, we're let down, we're hurt, we're slapped, we get ridiculed and all of a sudden, bless God, I ain't gonna go to, and we give up, and we just get in our churches. We say we can't, we don't have the ability, we don't have the education. I'll probably deal with that next week in our sermon about evangelism. But the truth of the matter is this. God's calling this body to snatch people out of the fire. People are dying and going to hell, folks. You can't have enough events to win Popper Bluff because of denominational barriers and because of mindsets. You can't people even pass that threshold until they're saved. Because they were, I, my, my grandma was raised Baptist. My grandma was raised Methodist. My grandma was raised uh, Jehovah Witness. My grandma was a Mormon. And whatever grandma was, bless God, that's what they're going to be. They're not even going to give you a chance by coming to one of your events. But when you personally get involved with them and they see the authenticity of who you are, you're loving on them and you're making a difference in their family, all of a sudden when they get saved, it's no longer about what church they belong to, it's the person that they've given their life to that matters. It's Jesus Christ. Would you stand with me, please? We got an indebtedness and the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, you're going into the manifestation season and the amount of manifestation that you have is going to be determined by how many empty vessels you bring into the building. Think about that. Revival's not just going to fall out of the sky. Revival's not, man, we've had those Pentecostal. How many Pentecostal services we got to have before something's done? How many times are we going to shout and fall out and speak in tongues and run the aisles and hallelujah, what a good service. When's it going to happen? Everybody's sitting around waiting for it to happen. God's waiting on us. He's waiting on us to go out and win the harvest. There was one other woman I was going to brag on. It's Donna. I remember when Donna comes and said, man, well, I'd like to take over the bus ministry. And then at one particular time, she was asked a question. She may not remember this. We said something about the bus ministry. And, and in the context of our conversation, she just asked, well, how many do you want? I can bring as many as you want. I can fill that place up with kids. At one time, we had to tell her, Donna, quit bringing so many kids. We can't handle them. You're bringing so many that we don't have enough teachers. We don't have enough classrooms. At one time, she was just busting them. And I want to tell you, bus ministry is not just getting in the bus and going picking them up. She goes to their home. She called them in advance. She, she went and visited their parents. She had a list. And, man, she stayed on top of these people. It was work. It was harvest. Thank you, Donna. Thank you. No, no one knows the hours. No one knows the hard work. They don't know the time that you've gotten with different women. My wife being one of them and going to them homes and making sure them children are going to come and giving them instructions and staying on top of them and following up every week on them. It wasn't just picking them up in a bus. That's an easy thing. The hard thing is to get them there to be to get to pick up on the bus. No one's seen you do that. God has. God's about to bless your vessel and your home with oil.
I don't know. I know it's getting a little late. It's just one of those summons. I just ask you to do one thing for me. Let's get committed to winning souls. Get with your family. Start targeting people, the people on your job. It's time. You've been working with them for 20 years. It's time you win some of them to the Lord. Your neighbors, your friends, it's lost. Folks, if you just keep on doing the same old things you've always done, you're gonna get the same results you've always had. It's time to change. Let's get empty vessels at the palace. And when we do, the oil will start flowing in measures of manifestation like you've never seen before. Don't wait to pray for someone sick here at the altar for them to be. Lay hands on them right out there and watch God use you to bring healing right out there outside of the church in the street. Watch him do it. Amen. When your friend's sick, go in there and say, man, I come to pray for you today. I've been burdened for you. Let me lay hands. Do you mind if I lay hands on you? And pray for them. Pray out loud. Pray Pentecostal. Don't be ashamed. Let the power of God use you. Signs and wonders is going to start following this body. Can I have a name? Is anybody excited about this at all? So in Jesus' name, as a pastor, as a leader, I delegate authority. I commission you. And from the command of a pulpit, go ye into the harvest and be laborers for Christ's sake because you are indebted in Jesus' name. God bless you, saints.